0: Good afternoon, you're listening to KFSK News for Monday, November 27th. I'm Hannah Flohr. One week ago, a deadly landslide came down across Samovia Highway in Wrangell and took down two family homes, killing four people. Two people are still missing, and one woman survived and is in good condition. The body of 11-year-old Kara Heller was recovered over the weekend. Wrangell's interim borough manager, Mason Valarma, said that's a testament to the ongoing search effort.
1: Truly, one of the triumphs for the search and rescue team to be able to provide, hopefully, the start of some closure for the family, and hopefully, they, they find everybody.
0: The bodies of Kara's sister, Mara, and her parents, Timothy and Beth, were found earlier in the week. Her brother, Derek Heller, is still missing, along with neighbor Otto Floorchutes. Search canines remain on the scene, but the Alaska Department of Transportation has started to clear the road. A 200 foot stretch remains blocked by landslide debris. Until it is cleared, about 55 households toward the end of the highway are only accessible by boat. The city, along with community volunteers, has been providing them with supplies.
1: Our focus is the 11 to 13 mile folks that um, are stranded out there without power and supplies. And we've been trying to provide as many accommodations as possible. Um, Everything from prescription medications to fuel to generators.
0: Department of Transportation spokesperson Shannon McCarthy said the primary goal is to clear one lane of traffic to allow for the flow of emergency personnel and utility workers who will will work to restore the power. It's expected that it will happen in a matter of days.
2: DOT is dedicated to restoring this connection for for Wrangell um, and supporting the search and rescue efforts.
0: But the landslide significantly damaged the road. There's no clear timeline for when it will be open to the general public. Last week's fatal landslide in Wrangell that killed four people and two others that were missing. The missing includes 65-year-old Otto Florschutz, who is married to the only found survivor, 63-year-old Christina Florschutz. Colette Zarnicki visited her in the hospital, three days after rescuers found her. Here's what she says happened that night.
2: I had gone upstairs, which is important to the story, to take a shower, because I like the, the shower up there. And I had just gotten out of the shower, and I was still just in my undies, and I heard this horrible noise, a very loud noise, and I recognized it. I've heard tornadoes, and I've heard a mudslide before. I knew what was happening, but I didn't have any warning. I heard a noise, and suddenly I'm like a piece of weightless popcorn being tossed around all over the place and slamming into things and and everything. And then I don't remember anymore for a while. Apparently I was out for a little while and I could look and my heart was just pounding and and I was, I had so much adrenaline, but I looked, and i could see some tree limbs i was underneath this shelf edge that i find i figured out oh, by feeling that it was part of the styrofoam roof of the house and and that's why the upstairs is important because i was way up high and the it was canted at an angle and then there was a bunch of debris piled right here but there was just enough room for me underneath there. I was getting rained on and it was very windy and I kept telling myself, you can breathe. You're not, you saw the tree, you're not buried. You must be near the top of the pile, wherever it is. And I did, had no idea it was that big of a slide at that point. I touched a plastic bag and I instantly knew what it was because I had a large plastic bag up there in my sewing room, which was upstairs. And it was full of polar fleece yardage. Right then and there, I knew I was going to live. I was going to live. I was meant to live. God put that there for me so that I wouldn't die from hypothermia. So I squirmed back underneath there and and I untied the bag and pulled the polar fleece kind of up over me and then pulled the bag over me to try and shield me from some of the rain anyway and uh, proceeded to wait until morning. Um, It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't fun. I got terribly cold and I had awful leg cramps. I was screaming with the leg cramps at times. Um, And during the night, it was still really dark. I heard a very strange thump, 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 thump. And I thought, what is that? And at first I thought it was somebody poking through the wreckage with a pole or something. And, and I'm hollering out, hey, I'm over here, you know? And thump, 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 thump. And then I realized, oh, it's one of my dogs sitting up there wagging its tail. So I talked to the dog during the night and told it to bark when somebody came so that I, if I was kind of half out of it, I'd be able to haul her. And I haven't, haven't seen her. She wasn't there in the morning when I, uh, when it got light and I squirmed out of there. I was shaking really hard. So I. My feet right at that corner of the house was this bag. And this is part of the story. It's full of women's extra large and large jammy bottoms I buy at the thrift stores. And I they're really good quality polar fleece. I shouldn't be telling my secrets. I had a bag just full of pajama bottoms. And so I, I put this pair on my head. I just pulled it over my head and then wrapped the legs around my neck and knotted it on and then I put my arms in another pair and I pulled on another pair and then there were some scraps in the bag that are laying around that I could just wrap around my feet to protect them. And I and I took the bag with the rest of the the uh, jammy bottoms with me because I knew once I got past that mud flat I was gonna be all muddy and horrid. And I would want to get some some warm, dry clothing on. So I had that with me, and uh, I, I just decided to start going. As I couldn't go very fast, but I decided to just keep going. And I was about halfway across the debris field. I, I found a piece of siding from off the house. And when it was a really soft spot, I'd throw that out there and kind of step across it till I could get to a piece of debris that was more solid, and then I'd grab it and go to the next one. And I have no idea how long it took, but I was so cold. Because then I'm out in the wind and the rain and everything, and I am so cold. And... uh And I get about halfway across that field, and I can see where the trees are standing up, and there's a great big log jam there, so it's an edge. And I see hats coming through the trees, baseball caps. And I thought, people, boy, am I glad to see you. And they heard me yell, and, and they came and got me. And they were, they, it was not easy to get me across the rest of that field. It took about six or seven of them. They put me in a sled and dragged me across that field. And they worked so hard to get me over there because they were dragging that sled and they didn't have the plywood and they're heavier and they're sinking and stuff. And, and, uh, and then they got me to a place where I could walk a little ways and then put me in this toasty, warm truck. That's how I lived.
0: That's Christina Floorschutz, a Wrangell resident who survived a massive, fatal landslide on November 20th. She says that thinking about the third grader she works with as a teacher's aide helped her survive the tragedy. After she heals up, she can't wait, wait to get back to them. To hear the full interview, go to kstk.org. The owners of Weekend Enterprises Incorporated, a diesel engine repair facility in Petersburg, are seeking to purchase the property they currently rent from the borough. As KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, the borough assembly has landed on a price for the property.
1: The land in question has a special designation called Tideland Property. Under this arrangement, Petersburg's Harbor Department has collected rent from the Weekend family for the last three decades. Now, Sherry and John Wecon are looking to sell the repair shop so they can retire. But in order to do that, they need to own the entire property, from the building that houses their business to the land directly beneath it. This summer, the Assembly set a new precedent for the borough by greenlighting the sale of leased Tideland property. They directed borough manager Steve Giesbrecht to begin negotiations with Wecon Enterprises. The land was appraised at $100,000, and Keyspreck proposed selling it for $154,000, which included the next 55 years of rent from the Wicon's lease agreement. John and Sherry Wicon made a counteroffer of $83,000, saying it was unfair to extend their responsibility to the entire life of the lease. They were also unhappy about being charged the cost of the property appraisal, $4,500. The Assembly agreed to walk back the length of the remaining lease, from 55 years, to just two. Those two additional years would wrap up the WECON's five-year interim lease period. However, they kept the cost of the property appraisal in the price. The Assembly unanimously voted to set the price of the property at $113,000, about $40,000 down from the original price. Sherry WECON said she's satisfied with those terms. ...other than the inclusion of the cost of the appraisal. There are about a dozen other properties in Petersburg's Marine Industrial Park that are also in this kind of arrangement, netting the Harbor Department about $160,000 a year in rent payments. The lost revenue from the WICON's 55-year lease will come out of the Harbor Department's budget... To soften that blow, the Assembly considered amending the motion to put the proceeds from the sale of the land back into the Department's coffers. But that couldn't pass because Borough Code states that the money must go into the Borough's Property Development Fund. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert.
0: Alaska's minimum wage will increase to about $12 an hour next year under the terms of a 2014 2014 ballot initiative. The voter-approved statute is an attempt to keep up with inflation and mandates that the minimum wage must rise each year at the same rate as consumer prices in the Anchorage area. But Dan Robinson, who leads the state's Labor Research Department, says there are probably very few Alaskans who currently make minimum wage. One McDonald's in Juneau, for example, has been advertising a starting pay of $18 an hour, Robinson says. Market forces, as strong as they are with the labor shortage, have almost certainly had much more of an effect on how much people are making than the minimum wage has in recent years or will with this uh, increase that's coming in the uh, beginning of 2024. Robinson says other than a small handful of states, most of the country hasn't been using minimum wage to attempt to keep up with the cost of living in recent years. It's kind of become, not kind of, it's become a less relevant driver of anything um, because the, it just hasn't nearly kept pace with inflation in most states. And that would be true for Alaska long term as well. A separate state law dictating the minimum compensation for salaried employees likely is a factor for many Alaska workers. Jeremy Applegate works in the state's wage and hour department, and he says, with the exception of government workers, if salaried employees are exempt from overtime pay, they generally need to be making at least double the minimum wage. Applegate says they made a point to include the minimum salaries in the wage increase announcements this year to help educate employers
1: because it is a, a major way in which people can easily violate that.
0: That minimum salary for exempt workers is rising from about $45,000 this year to nearly $49,000 next year. Applegate says anyone with questions or concerns about Alaska's wage rules can contact the wage in our office. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Flohr.